Taking the pulse of the city. The Capital Letter on Newstalk ZB. The Capital Letter is a piece that I enjoy from our special issues reporter Georgina Campbell. Firstly, good morning. Good morning. And firstly, Transmission Gallery. What's the latest? Yeah, so um, I decided to write my column in the New Zealand Herald, a capital letter on Transmission Gully this week. And I really just wanted to make the comparison between um, how much the builder is getting fined um, for environmental breaches compared to the amount that they'll get fined if the road isn't open on time. So um, the Environment Court has issued the builder with $70,000 worth of fines. Um, that's not even a third of what the builder will get stung with um, for every day that the road um, isn't open on time if if we get to that point. So, yeah, they're going to be um, stung with $250,000 every single day and they're also not going to get $7.5 million of um, settlement money. So basically if Transmission Gully doesn't open by um, September 27. It's going to cost the builder um, $7.7 million. But I guess I just wanted people to um, think about the environmental impact that this road has had. I think everybody talks about how the the price was totally undercooked and the budget blowout and all that sort of thing. But um, actually, the environmental track record of this road also hasn't been that great. And hasn't been written about a lot either, hasn't it? This is the first time I've ever heard it being discussed even. Yeah, it hasn't been written about a lot. I've I've definitely tried to. Um, and, you know, I covered the Environment Court case and I was the only journalist um, in, in the room. Um, but there have been hundreds of um, issues that Greater Wellington Regional Council has had to deal with as the environment um, regulator. And the other thing that the Regional Council has to do before the road can legally open is sort of um, sign off on all of these final um, consents and things. Um, a lot of it's to do with mitigation planting to make sure there's no runoff and that sort of thing. And NZTA has um, actually had a meeting with council officials to be like, look, you know, they're obviously quite worried, you know, can you do this on time because they're so worried about the road opening. And I would sort of make the argument that, you know, it's really the onus is on the builder to get everything ready in time for the regional council to have enough time to assess properly that all the environment um, issues and mitigation measures and things are in place, you know, and if the regional council doesn't have enough time to do that and the road isn't open on September 27, well, that's not the council's fault. And I think the environment deserves at least that. Yes, after everything that's happened. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's only six weeks away. I know. Seven, count- what's, it, what's 27? No, sorry, eight weeks away. The Two countdown months. is on. Yeah, we'll be watching very closely. Uh, I know I know. you don't want me to answer this question. I shouldn't even answer it, but what's your gut telling you we're going to open on time or not? Just give me your gut feeling. I'm, yeah, Everybody's I, got a gut feeling. I think, look, I'll be pleasantly surprised if I am at Transmission Gully on the 27th of, you know, September How with long the Transport Minister cutting the ribbon. Um, a few years now, I mean, I guess ever since I've been reporting in Wellington, but certainly in the last couple of years, quite intensely, where we've seen these construction issues come out of the woodwork. Okay, and environment, we need to be keeping an eye on that. Something that's a little bit dear to my heart because we ran a story, well, we ran a, um, an hour on it, really, worrying about the weights in ER and Wellington Hospital, and I just by chance picked up an article of yours where you wrote a story about a lady that with terminal cancer that waited 30 hours 
in the emergency department before. I, I mean, that before she was put in a ward, I mean, that's mm. not, to me, good enough. Yeah, and I think when you hear about wait times, it's not the same as hearing the case of an actual person and, and their circumstances. And I think that is what, yeah, really hit home for me as well. You know, this woman with terminal cancer presented to the ED and she had to wait 31 hours before a bed could be found for her in a ward in, in the hospital. Um, and, yeah, the DHB is obviously coming under a lot of pressure in um, the ED. And we've been writing about it. Um, my colleague Sophie Trigger at the New Zealand Herald has been following this really closely. And then over the weekend, a doctor who actually works in the ED um, decided to talk about this Um you know, anonymously, anonymously but yeah, to, yeah, to the Herald. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, this doctor was saying it's just so upsetting, it's demoralising. And um, the doctor was saying that, you know, when you walk past these people waiting and everyone's sort of looking up at you hoping that, you know, the doctor might be able to sort of change this, but they can't. Um, and... Yeah, so the DHB is saying that um, as a tertiary provider, you know, they're delivering services for patients across the Lower North Island. Um, they're often operating at 95% occupancy or higher. And so, um, you know, this can lead to patients waiting longer in ED for a bed to become available on a ward or to be discharged. But yeah, I mean, th 31 hours. That's, that's not good enough for a terminally ill person. Did yeah, you know that, not. I mean, I just in general chit-chat, did you know there was only 28 beds in ED in Wellington? Did you know that? I we, didn't know that. Uh, we found out, We uh, Rosie emailed them and got that information. It's 28 beds. D wow. Does that seem like a lot or a little to you? It seems like a little considering <laughs> how many people are, are yeah, in yeah. there. And you, yeah. you know, we're hearing about people you know, patients in the corridors sort yeah. of situation. Well, that's the reason there's only 28 beds in it. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? it 30 is. hours. Uh, I don't think that's, yeah, I feel I feel that there's something wrong with that. I, I really do. Okay, finally, the council is looking the, in the way that it subsidises the the, form, the art sector. I think uh, I've kind of got to little be, be a little bit careful because I'm part of that as well with my connections with a sporting team because that's obviously involved in that as well. Yes. But I think it is time. I, I would personally like... Um, George, to say that I think there should be some transparency because I'm hearing some organisations get a hell of a lot of money and you think, how do they get that much money? And some get very, very little. So do you think the outcome of this will be that there'll be a bit more transparency? Well, this is an interesting one because I think it's been an issue that's been kicking around for a number of years, which is the the cost of um, being Hiring able to hire a council venue. And um, so council officials are recommending that the, the council subsidy scheme be reviewed. But I was doing my homework on this story yesterday and it turns out there was actually this council commissioned report in 2016, you know, so five years ago, um, you know, which found local organisations were being priced out of these venues and they couldn't afford the rates and they were the most expensive in the country. Country. And I just sort of got thinking, God, do we really need another review? You know, I think um, a lot of um, people in the performing arts sector sort of feel like we've discussed the problems and we know what they are. And, you know, can we actually just do something about it instead of there being another review? Um, another thing that I'm hearing from um, those in the sector is that they sort of want this um, 
the the commercial side of of the how the venues operate to either be taken out completely or reduced and and I guess for the venues to have a different mandate that's more focused on um, you know the the community and that sort of thing, um, and, and I can give you some information on that because mm. some of these venues are built on the basis that you need this and you need that for this, and that sport needs that, and that sports. Need, and I'm talking about the TSB Arena because when mm. that originally was built, it was so that you know netball and basketball and karate and all these other sports could play in there. Then it's priced so way out of their their hands. I mean, it's for our organisation, the Saints. It's our, our most expensive cost per year is holding games in a venue that we wow. really can't afford but there's no other venues to go to. Exactly and the other thing um, that someone was telling me is that um, it was the organisers of Cuba Dupa so when they had to move their main stage inside um, when because of a security risk with the Christchurch yes. mosque attacks they um, you know very kindly were offered the venue for free but they still had to pay all more the than $20,000 just for two days for all the lighting and that sort of thing so it's like you know, you've yeah. got the expense of the venue, which is quite high to begin with, and then you've got to pay for everything else that you actually need to, to put to on an event in the venue. Security, cleaning, license mm. premise, you know, the whole thing. You're right. Uh, we need to we need to talk uh, about that. But um, just just so you know, too, I, I, when I made my notes to talk to you, on, on we were, I know we've gone past it, but, you know, in 2018 that they stopped uh, making the government stop making mandatory times of waiting at ER public. So we don't know how, how long people are waiting for. But up till 2018, you, they had to register the amount of time that everybody was at waiting. So we, we've got no idea now. And that's not right, is it? Yeah, I, I agree on the transparency thing. Like, as a journalist, I'll always advocate for as much transparency, transparency as yeah. possible. And I think it's good just to be honest about things and have records about things um, and, and front up on them. Yeah, well, yeah, I just, we didn't, once again, it's a fact that we didn't know, but we surely be able to, should, should know how long general public are waiting in our hospitals. We know because we listen and we read your reports and we listen to the radio, but Georgina Campbell is our uh, special issues writer for The Herald and she joins me every Wednesday. Great to see you again. I'm glad you're back on deck. Thanks so much, okay. Nick.